0: In our lives we probably all in some way aspire to do the best that we can within our own beings, within our communities, within our families whether it's just to be a good parent, to uh, be a good daughter or son Um, just in some way wanting to really bring most that we can to our lives. And yet, even with this aspiration, we find that often we can inflame situations, we can be highly reactive, um, and cause a lot of hurt and pain. And from this, you know, and it probably is, you know, a lot of what brings us to practice, is a real desire to know some form of balance within the mind. And so tonight I'd like to talk about the quality of balance that can be present, that can be both in the midst of our lives and is something that emerges through our meditation practice. And this is the quality of equanimity. The quality of equanimity is when there is strong balance, a poise, where the mind is not pulled towards excess. It's not pulled towards indulgence in pleasure or the pushing away of that which is unpleasant. But it's a balance and poise in the mind that is an evenness of mind that allows all experience to be met equally. So this can be from uh, dramatic events in our lives. You know, sometimes we just feel thrown about. At times things are going really well and there's kind of an ease that sets in. And then suddenly things shift and change. And, you know, if we're identified in some way, we will suffer. So there's no balance in the mind that can hold, you know, the shifting sand of life. And then equally this can be in our meditation practice, you know, in very refined states that if we start moving into, you know, great enthusiasm, things are calm, peaceful, and there's some kind of attachment that moves in, or, you know, suddenly things shift and change and, You know, it's painful and hard and struggle, and what happened? You know, we can become devastated if if we're identifying with this. But with equanimity, it's the mind that can hold it all. Not carried off balance by this shifting, this changing of experience. There's two aspects of equanimity. The first is the power to observe or be aware. It has a sense of to look over. And it's the capacity to look over without being caught in that which is observed, without picking it up, identifying with it. Things arise are known, but there's not the stickiness. And this allows for a very vast field of awareness, a great spaciousness in the mind. We begin to be able to see the whole picture. It's not, you know, glomping on to parts of what's happening. It's a spaciousness that allows all things to be seen, to be observed, to be looked upon." And this, be, this capacity is really rooted in insight. You know, it's not a chance happening, and it's not because experience is neutral. It's because the mind, through wisdom, is not picking up and identifying with experiences. Nowhere, you know, where at some point, you know, we get so tired of chasing after the pleasure or pushing away that which is unpleasant. And, you know, it just, the mind sees the futility of that. And it also learns that, you know, it's just a momentary arising, you know, and it does, it's not taking everything to relate back to be self, to be one's worth, you know. It's so easy when things are going well to think, I'm a great person, I'm a good person. You know, it's not doing that. And, you know, it comes when the mind just sees there's no point to do that. It isn't helpful. It's not what's leading to the end of suffering. So when the mind is able to look over in this way, we begin to be able to see what is true, because it's not being filtered through all of the reactivity in the mind. And this form of equanimity, it's like it really helps us to move into the unknown. Because without a sense of equanimity, you know, when we hit that which is unknown, fear arises and we get stopped by the fear. But with that mind that can receive, look, observe, be aware, we can see things as they are. The other... Aspect of equanimity is that of inner balance, and one description is to stand in the middle of all things. You know, to stand in the middle of all things. You know, very a, a, a description that's often used with equanimity is that of the mountain, and you know, as we know, mountains they sit, they are. They receive all experiences. (laughs) Actually, they receive much like the weather we had today. (laughs) The rain, the sleet, the wind. It could be lightning, thunder. Um, It just sits unwaveringly from a place of balance. One of the aspects in speaking about balance that uh, I think is important with equanimity because we often think of balance as you know, as if you're walking a tightrope and you've got to put one step in front of the other and if you don't you're going to fall into this great abyss of suffering. And that's not what the balance of equanimity is like. The balance of equanimity is that vastness, is that spaciousness that can hold it all. It really holds the 10,000 joys and the 10,000 sorrows. No, th- that, it, it, it doesn't leave out anything. And so from that, the sense of balance that comes when it's through equanimity, when it's through this wisdom factor, is that the mind is more malleable. It's not tight, it's not rigid, it's not clinging to that precipice. It's relaxed, receptive, available. A teaching from Rainer Rilke. Uh, Let everything happen to you, beauty and terror. Just keep going. No feeling is final. I know there's just been times when it's felt like a wild ride in a certain sense, where very strong feelings coming up, but the, the mind is non-reactive to that. It's all happening within this vast field of awareness. It's, it's yeah, it's quite amazing. But in our lives, this can be challenging. I'd like to share, um, you know, it's a teaching story, and it has many variations to it, but this is a more modern one. There was a man who was unexpectedly laid off from work. A neighbor who learned of this event sadly shook his head and said, how terrible is that you lost your job? Perhaps, the man replied. Since the man was now unemployed, he took a walk downtown. There he bumped into an old friend and successful banker. The banker offered him a job at twice the money of his previous one. When the neighbor heard heard the good news, he could barely contain his excitement. "'That's fantastic,' said the neighbor. "'Perhaps,' answered the man. Two days later, while working at his new job, the man slipped and injured his back. When the neighbor noticed the man hobble home, he asked what happened.' After learning the news, the man was sympathetic. Oh, that's too bad. What an unlikely break, he said. Perhaps, said the man. The next day, as the man stayed at home nursing his bad back, the bank was victimized by a terrifying robbery. When the neighbor read about it, he called his friend on the phone. What a stroke of luck that you missed the robbery, declared the neighbor. Perhaps, answered the man again without missing a single beat. And on it goes, and you know, how many times in our life do we, you know, have one event happen and we go, oh, this is great, and then something else happens. Oh, that's bad luck, you know. And it's, you know, it, it um, it's just not an easy way to live life. But this other man, you know, the man whom it was all happening to, he had, you know, who knows, who knows, and just that, that capacity to be with what's good when it's good, and to be with what's difficult when it's difficult. Sometimes in the good events, we just get completely carried away, excited, disconnected. You know, whether it's a great insight that arises as we practice, and and you know, just get lost in the thinking about it. And it was a moment of insight, you know, it could have been very helpful, but then there's just the great enthusiasm and um, exuberance with it, or some events in our lives. You know, I once had it where Well, I can't remember exactly now what happened, but it was a series of things where you go, oh, that's really good, oh, that's good, that's great. And, you know, just feeling quite buoyant in it. And I went for a walk with my friend, and I was sharing all this with with great enthusiasm, the good fortune of my life. And then at some point I realized I was completely carried away by enthusiasm, and my friend was suffering deeply. And because I'd been so carried away, there'd been no recognition of what was happening with my friend. When things go well, we tend to slip into the illusion of permanence. You know, um, even just sitting here in those times where it's really peaceful, clear, and there, there is no resistance, no reactivity. And we think, oh, yeah now I've got it. And then when it changes, devastation, not going well, and suddenly we're wrong, we're not good enough, we can't do it. Just seeing in the course of a day, how we treat the unpredictable, you know, how um, whether there is just an accepting of this change, of the way things are, or whether we feel thrown about, you know, just coming into the hall that the day before had been so quiet, peaceful, calm coming into the hall and the person beside you is struggling with sleepiness and snoring periodically and, you know, breathing loudly and, you know, it it feels like a challenge just to be in the same room. Or we get sick and we've been waiting for this retreat and suddenly, you know, it can hardly hold the body up It's in pain. Now, are we like the mountain that simply receives it? When the storms of anger come through, the waves of frustration, opening to the 10,000 joys and the 10,000 sorrows, A common misperception is that equanimity will mean that we'll be passive. And this is only a misconception. What the equanimity allows is for the mind to be non-reactive. So when it's not filtering experience through greed, aversion, delusion, then the clear seeing happens and a responsiveness comes that is based in intuitive wisdom. We also often uh, relate equanimity to indifference and they're very, very different. Equanimity comes from full connection with experience. But this non-reactivity, this balance, this poise. Whereas indifference is a withdrawing, aversion, disconnecting. And sometimes, you know, it can be hard to distinguish that there can be times when there has just been a slight distancing. And it has, we we can mistake it at times for equanimity. But real equanimity is like being, standing in the midst of, so that it's really intimate in in a way, and it's really Uh, You know, it's like allowing the river of life to move through, be known, intimate, but not grasping, clinging, or pushing away. And the indifference, you know, it's just slightly pulled back, or sometimes hugely pulled back, (laughs) whatever the case may be. But it has, it's a disconnect. And, you know, sometimes it's harder to see. It can be subtle around thoughts, the thinking mind. You know, um, it took me years to see that there was a subtle level of aversion that was trying to nix a thought. You know, just cut it rather than see it, know it. Um, But, you know, just, and that's where, you know, just looking to see if there's any slight pulling back that doesn't have that sense of sitting in the midst of. I've also seen the distancing happening through the rational mind. Uh, So maybe there's pleasant experience. And the thought, oh, you know, be careful, you're going to get attached here. And so there's a distancing that happens, rather than the knowing of the pleasant. You know, with equanimity, it's opening to the pleasant, opening to the unpleasant. So just needing to look in the mind and see if there's, in some form, this indifference coming in that is a disconnection. We find also with the indifference that there can be um, some form of lingering fear in there that feels like it's just too much to be fully in the midst of what passes through. And Carol mentioned, maybe it was a couple weeks ago now, that just how as we meditate we really start to see how much reactivity in the mind there is. And that how it's almost in the cells that when pleasant experience is there, that's the grasping, the clinging, wanting more of, or when the unpleasant is there, the, the pushing away of. And, you know, we just have to rest in the scene of this. It's not like we can say, okay, don't do that. But we can pay attention, we can include when the mind is moving into grasping when it is moving into aversion. And, you know, that again, the mind is accepting what's here, as it is. As we pay attention, this is how we the mind gets the information. You know, we, we just see, grasping over and over and over You know, and I know some of you have expressed that, that, you know, in interviews, like, that's all there is. (laughs) It's just craving. And then we just see how tiring that is. And that's where the mind starts to find the wisdom of equanimity. No need to do this, or no need to push away. when we pay attention to this push and pull in life, it it really gets interesting, you know, just in making small decisions in our life, how much that can play out. You know, I once walked into a room. There was a chair I usually sat in, but I didn't sit there. I just, I remembered casting my eye around the room, and then I went and sat somewhere I don't usually sit. And then when I was, found myself sitting there, I went, hmm, this is interesting. You know, how did I get here? And so I looked around the room, and I saw that each other chair just had something on it. And so, you know, in a moment of laziness, or, you know, some form of unpleasant experience, not wanting to meet it, and so just going the path of least resistance. And, you know, this, this isn't... A way to make decisions in one life that are based in wisdom. You know, it's just like going the easy way or you know, uh, going the pleasurable way, and you know, we just know that doesn't lead to a great depth of understanding in our lives. a way of working with equanimity that is interesting to watch is just around the ma- mind that has so many preferences. You know, how we like to pick and choose all the time. You know, whether it's through uh, what we, music we listen to, whether it's through uh, where we go in a day, to, you know, setting up our day to really be pleasant experience. Um, And to really just see if for periods of time we can let go of preference, let go of having things be the way we want them to. And just seeing, can the mind be okay with the way things unfold? You know, even simple things like going into the dining room and maybe there's some table that we always sit at. And then, you know, there's somebody that's sitting in our place. Um, just the unpredictable, the, the you know, the, where we just don't have control in our lives. Letting go of our preferences there. And exploring what comes up in the face of that. I was once in Burma, on retreat, and sitting in the meditation hall. And one day, as I was sitting, this loud jackhammer started up just outside the meditation hall. And it was probably within fifteen feet of the hall. And it went on for hours and hours and hours. The first day of it, it happened on a day when the mind was very balanced. And it didn't matter. It was just sound, just hearing. There was no ripple effect in the mind. But not every day after that was the same, because it went on for weeks. <laughs> but what was interesting is I always had that memory to know that it wasn't about the sound. It was about how the mind was responding, reacting. And, you know, that that one day, for whatever reasons, the factors had been strong in the mind, you know, not a problem. And then another day, when the filters of reactivity were very evident, it was the hell realms. (laughs) You know, it, it was really difficult. And so, you know, it's really worth it to see, when we're struggling with something, Just how the mind's reacting. What's happening there? So the aspect of balance, too, really helps us in our practice in that, you know, Equanimity is to help us from falling into extremes. And so we can find that um, we can find balance between things like faith and wisdom. You know, sometimes faith can bring great enthusiasm, that uh, you can, we can almost move into blind faith at times. Um, and it's not balanced with wisdom or clear seeing but equanimity or balance helps us to start to see where the mind is moving into excess where you know faith is overwhelming the wisdom not allowing wisdom to really come forth or it helps us to find balance between effort and concentration where you know we can be come also have great enthusiasm applying great effort and it's just causing the mind to get tighter and tighter and concentration doesn't deepen Um, or you know concentration's getting really strong and it's not balanced with effort and it just moves into um, uh, you know a dull mind as we practice. And, and just something as simple as being with the breath, as it is, it's a beginning of cultivating equanimity, the part of letting it be as it is. So this is just a really good training. You know, because we often can turn to the breath, we want to fiddle with it, get it fuller, richer, smoother, finer. But no, breath as it is. And then as we begin to open up to other experiences, whether it's thoughts, emotions, other sensations, if we can also practice by way of equal attention to all aspects of experience, then it really doesn't matter what's arising in our experience. And it, it really helps the mind to find this great malleability, this great sense of balance and receptivity. During the course of our day, to really look at this equalness of mind in any that we do. This was huge for me. This was where I really learned about continuity of mindfulness that every little activity one could be aware of. You know, making brushing your teeth as important as sitting on the cushion having a shower going to the toilet everything because Every moment is where the possibility of liberation is. But out of our preferences, out of our picking and choosing, out of our not paying attention impartially, we set up these, you know, places of great intensity, we set up, you know, forms of craving that we're not even seeing. But it's let everything in your day be important. And that's not heavy, because when you're really doing that, there's that freshness of mind, a lightness, and agility, that malleability in the mind. So it's not like, I have to be mindful. It's like, oh, this, this too, just this. We, through the course of the day, look at balance where, you know, um, sometimes the mind is getting really, really tight. And it's like, so if the mind's getting tight, how do we find the balance? How do we let the mind become more neutral, cool? And that will vary according to how it's getting tight, how it's getting overheated. You know, I would often find at the end of a day, of practice on retreat, that the mind, you know, the awareness itself was just crackling in a sense, but it was overcharged. You know, and there was like, um, and then it was like needing to turn the attention to something that was cooler. So sometimes, you know, if I was laying in bed, that would be noticing the darkness, or Noticing, you know, just a soft sensation. Or sometimes it might be turning the mind to the quality of metta, whether it's a felt sense. But something that helps the mind to keep from going into excess. Really, to work with equanimity. It's all around this aspect of inclusion, that willingness to let things be as they are. In the world we find many opportunities to um, Work with the strengthening of equanimity through the vicissitudes of worldly life. You know, praise and blame, the uh, you know the, the the number of different ways that people will either heap on the praise or heap on the blame, and just really watching what the mind does. You know, uh, I, I you know at some point started to notice when I had it. For many years, an instant reaction with blame to think, "Oh, I'm bad. I've done something wrong here," and then when the mind started to become more balanced and hearing blame in some way, you know, it became, "Oh, well, that's interesting." You know, that there was just that willingness to look and see, and not to collapse in the face of it. And um, <laughs> with praise, actually, initially for me, or not at. There, there was, has certainly been times when there's been praise, where you know my instant reaction have been, well, the, <laughs> you're deluded, <laughs> and you know just that it's like not being able to hear someone is saying something very kind, maybe, and you know it's just like the mind is so reactive it doesn't even allow that to be heard, and so just to notice what the mind does in the face of praise and blame or pleasure and pain. You know, with um, pleasure, it can just lead us into this life of addiction, always needing, wanting, having to get. And... Uh, or defining ourselves when life is good and pleasurable, um, and then collapsing as it moves into the unpleasant, the painful. Or, you know, when, when it is painful, thinking, That we've done something bad, wrong. No, it just, wow, life is this whole mix of experience. And that just tendency to react to it is just exacerbating the suffering to no end. With gain and loss. You know, we have times of great abundance in our lives in different ways. And then times where it's just like poom, things are gone. You know, a great huge loss can happen in a split second, in whatever form, you know, whether it's from material possessions that are dear to us, from having friends and family around us that we love, and then the tides turn, change happens, and maybe somebody dies, is gone. Actually, um, Mingyur Rinpoche, my Tibetan teacher, he tells a story of a student of his who wa- was on Wall Street and, while things were flourishing, was very well off, had a very comfortable life. And then, you know, things crashed, and that person went from, you know, some luxurious apartment to sleeping on somebody's couch. But this person had equanimity. They never complained. They never thought, "Well, <laughs> you know, this this sucks and this is awful." <laughs> they just um, got on with life. They kept their head about them. They were very balanced, and you no, know, they rebounded. They weren't thrown about by it. It's so easy to move into. You know, being a victim to, um, you know, just the impossibility of it. Instead of just doing the best we can. Keeping our heads about us. Not being destroyed by it. And then the last of the eight worldly vicissitudes is fame and disrepute. I haven't been famous enough to know the fame part. (laughs) But, you know, we see it in Hollywood. We see it in many different ways. One person in the limelight one day, and then, well, politicians, (laughs) what they did wrong, (laughs) disrepute. And, you know, again very very painful if we're caught in it if we don't have that balance you know that it can be that at some point in our life for whatever reason we're in the limelight you know we're we're really in a position that's catching attention but you know if we become attached to that if that defines our doing well we're in trouble Because it can shift in a second again, can change so quickly. The Buddha, to me, is such a strong example of someone who could live with um, all kinds of praise and blame and uh, being accused of different things and, you know. uh, I always think, you know, he must have been so powerful and awesome that nobody would question him. But that wasn't the case. That, you know, he, he did have people who were jealous of him and tried to harm him. People who accused him of things like murder, of getting a woman pregnant. And, you know, these people he never regarded as his enemies. It didn't throw him. It didn't offset him. His mind stayed balanced. We also find that equanimity is one of the Brahma Viharas, the divine abidings, our natural home: um, Metta, loving kindness, um, Karuna, compassion, Mudita, appreciative joy, and the last one being Upeka or equanimity. And equanimity, as a Brahma Vihara, is what really helps love to be freely offered without attachment. It helps to be able to love without picking and choosing, so that we aren't just showering those that are dear to us with love, but we're letting our hearts open and be inclusive to all beings without distinction, without exclusion. It really is the quality that brings the boundlessness to the mind, that inclusion. Even in the Brahma Viharas, the the um, equanimity—it's linked with wisdom, and you know. It, um, a very strong experience for me was when I was on retreat doing the Brahma-Vihara practices intensively, having done six weeks of metta, loving-kindness practice, and then moving into touching upon the other Brahma-Viharas. And, you know, I spent you know, that first six weeks just very joyfully wishing well for all beings. And then it happened that when I hit equanimity it was kind of like sobering up. <laughs> it was because the realization really took hold that yes, I could wish well for all beings, but their happiness or unhappiness depends upon their actions and not upon my wishes for them. And that was just like, oh, you know, and there's a real maturity of heart that's there. That doesn't stop wishing well, but doesn't have attachment, isn't invested in it. That we do that because that's what we can do. But we also have to allow others to walk their own path, live their own lives. And that we have no control over. So it really brings a wisdom into our lives. equanimity. It's this poise in the mind, a balance. When the mind is in equanimity, it really becomes unshakable, like that mountain. Really being allowing us to Open and receive life as it is allows us to be intimate, connected, but not thrown about by. It helps us to open to our deepest pain and our greatest sorrow. It's a coolness that is searing, that is a coolness to the searing heat of attachment or the friction of aversion. The capacity to open to it all without losing balance. I'd like to share a teaching from Ajahn Samedo. The mind is like space. There is room in it for everything, for nothing. We always have a perspective. Once we know that the space of the mind, its emptiness, armies can come into the mind and leave butterflies, rain clouds, or nothing. All things can come and go through without us being caught in reaction or resistance. It's opening to the flow of life as it is, which allows us to see it in its nature I'd like to close with some words from the Buddha. Whose mind stands steady like a mountain, steady, it is unperturbed, unattached to things that arouse attachment, unangered by things that provoke anger. When one's mind is cultivated thus, how can suffering come to them? So let's just sit for a moment. Sitting steady, like a mountain. Sensations in the body. Sounds. Might be emotions, mind states thoughts, allowing them to be without picking or choosing. The tides of change, not moving towards or away from. as it is. closing with the reflections on the sharing of blessings